This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, December 22, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. Many of the problems of drought aren't caused by drought, but by the ways in which water rights are allocated. Reed Watson is executive director at the Property and Environment Research Center. In Nashville in October, we discussed some ways water could be more efficiently allocated. Describe to me what the problem is with water in California beyond drought. I mean, obviously, drought is a problem, but what are the next series of problems that occur when you when you have drought conditions and the current setup for allocation of water? Mm-hmm. It's rigid. It doesn't allow for flexibility. It doesn't allow for changing prices in water. It just simply says, basically, let's take a, a, a snapshot in time, say 50 years ago, and we'll allocate water to its highest value use then, we'll continue to allocate water that way now. And we're not allowing for cities to acquire water as they might want to, for farmers to acquire water as they might want to, and most importantly from Perk's perspective, for environmental interests to acquire water, simply because we're locked into this bureaucratic malaise and water markets offer an alternative to that. So what prevents uh, a robust market in water right now in California? number of things. We actually, the, the title of this report is Six Policy Reforms. And so we actually address, we think that the six, maybe not the biggest, but the ones that are most easily changed and improved. One of those is environmental review. Another is state review of the process. So anytime that you transfer a water right, you've got to have the state sign off on it and say, okay, this is, you know, this is fine, or it doesn't injure other water users or the environment. Those processes take months, sometimes years thus vitiating the whole need for the water transfer in the first place if it takes so long. We also look at groundwater and how the state could use groundwater aquifers to store water and, la- and pull it out later during, during dry years. And then one of the kind of more modest suggestions is that we actually could appoint, that, that California could appoint judges that are expert water judges. So when they have litigation, when they've got water-related litigation, it's really complex, how do they actually resolve that? You've got expert judges who hear those cases and they don't have to be steeped and take years to get experience. And so some minor minor policy reforms that actually could, could facilitate trading. So how do uh, groups like almond farmers and companies like Nestle manage to make use of the political system in order to get the water that they want? Because almonds are a very a water-intensive crop. And of course, Nestle sells a lot of water. So how do these... Uh, groups get what they want at the expense of other people where a market might make everyone need to economize a little more. Sure. And I wouldn't just pick on almond farmers, right? Like we, I think they got the target on their back because it's a fairly water intensive crop. You got to use a lot of water to grow almonds. Well, in California, there's avocados, there's all sorts of things. It's a huge, it's a huge. The issue is not almonds. The issue is, the issue is there's not enough water to go around. And the the folks who are getting water now there, there's two ways to look at it. The, the jaded way would say that they are using the political process to prevent other people from acquiring water. A more opportunistic, or I would say optimistic, excuse me, an optimistic perspective would be that because they themselves can't trade, because the, 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 the system doesn't allow them to trade either, they don't think about the opportunity cost of water conservation. It's sort of a use it or lose it system. And if they don't use it, they lose it. Conversely, if they could actually trade, they then have an incentive to conserve and trade the conserved water to other people for money. And because that that bureaucratic process and gridlock prevents them from doing that, there's not as strong of an incentive for conservation as there otherwise would be. Now, you might 
say is they're they're abusing the political process and keeping water in their own back pocket. But I actually think that it's more that they don't have an incentive to conserve. And they're also responding to that regulatory gridlock. So there's no there is no for a lot of these uh, these folks, there is no marginal price of water. Correct. Right. There there is a quantity that they can acquire, but or, or more specifically, a quantity that they're guaranteed through state or federal water delivery pro, uh, programs. But there's no alternative use to which they can elect to devote that water. Correct. It's, I wouldn't say there's no alternative use, but it's, 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 the alternative use is so covered up with the cost of actually transferring it that even though it makes more sense economically or perhaps environmentally to transfer the water, it doesn't get done because it takes too long and it takes too much money to move the water to transfer the water. So why do we treat water differently? And, and what, are, what are some of the sort of hard realities about water that, that, that make governments tend to treat it differently than we do? Well, Fox, there's, there's a couple of different reasons. I think you, you hear uh, opposition to water markets along a couple of different lines. One is that water is a basic human right and that we all should be guaranteed it. I think that's really bogus because to say something is a basic human right does nothing to actually guarantee its supply. Okay. Um, in fact, I think water markets would actually do a better job than the political process of allocating water to the people that need it most. Um, the second barrier or, or, or uh, opposition to water markets is the fact that you've got some really expensive infrastructure built back in the, well, way back in the, in the, in the, in the early 20th century that takes years and years and years to recoup the price of. And so there's, there's, there's a, 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 even though water itself is fluid and dynamic, the infrastructure is not. And the subsidies that go along with that infrastructure are also locked into place and actually capitalized into the value of a lot of farmland. And so you've got this relu reluctance, especially among farmers, to transfer water to cities or to the environment because this is an asset that's critically important to their livelihood and to their entire farming operation. And uh, even though they might be better off in the short term, there's a lot of opposition to trading water among the community as well. What needs to change? What what needs to change for people to either appreciate that or? I think honestly, in California, and this and our report is is focused on California. I think most Californians who who are facing water scarcity issues should look at other states because really there are a number of other states that are doing a better job at facilitating water transfers, and as a result, they have less of an economic impact due to drought and less of an environmental impact due to drought. So I think. One, identifying and understanding that the rules of the game in California are not optimal and that reform is needed is the first step. The second step, I think, is we don't need a complete overhaul of the water law system in California or in any state for that matter. But rather, can we identify barriers to water trading that don't create any benefit? For example, if they don't protect other water rights users or they don't protect the environment, then we should probably repeal that regulation, that restriction on water trading, because it doesn't accomplish anything and that's what our report looks at is, you know, unnecessary delay in reviewing water transfers, uh, unnecessary uh, restrictions on what water can be transferred when, um, a, a, a restriction on the use of groundwater storage for, uh, for storing water during wet years so that you can later pull it out during dry years. These things don't actually have an economic or an environmental benefit, so we ought to be serious about repealing them. And these, the, the, the reforms that we suggest in our report are not major overhauls. They're actually minor modifications that we think are going to have a significant impact on the amount of water traded in California. Reed Watson is executive director of the Property and Environment Research Center. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app. 
and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>